You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Hi folks and welcome to the October 2013 episode of Let's Talk Apple. I'm your host, Bart Bouchotts. Joining me this month, we have three new, I was going to say faces, three new voices um, for this show. We have Nick Riley, a.k.a. Spligosh, joining us. Welcome on board, Nick. Thanks very much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for, for volunteering. I'm always indebted to people who give their time freely. Um, also joining us, we have Peter Upfold of peterupfold.org.uk. Welcome aboard, Peter. Hi, it's nice to be uh, back on a podcast. It's been a while. It's good to have you back. And uh, speaking of voices, we have the ultimate of Mac Voices. We have Chuck Joyner joining us from macvoices.com. Hi, Chuck. Hey, Bart. Great to be here, and congratulations on the new show. Hey, thanks, thanks very much. Um, <laughs> so far, so good. A whole one and a bit episodes in. <laughs> but uh, no, I'm actually, I have to say I'm really enjoying getting back into having to analyse the Apple news and you know do this kind of stuff, so it's fun. Um, before we kick into this month's news, I just want to get the follow-up on a few things from the last show, which was for September. Um, we got some very good feedback from listener Ian, who raised the fact that we didn't actually mention Apple's most favoured nation clause. Um, and that didn't mean that we agreed with it, it just means that we didn't mention it at all. And I can only speak for myself, because none of the other guys from last month are on, but I certainly don't approve of it. And because I said nice things about the agency model doesn't mean I also mean nice things about the Most Favoured Nation Clause because the two don't go together and I really have nothing good to say about the MFN. Um, And for context, the way all this went down in Europe is that the European Commission had a similar investigation to the American one, but their conclusion was if Apple get rid of the MFN, then everything is grand. And so Apple agreed to do that in an out-of-court settlement and everything was grand. And I guess I wish the US had gone the same. Um, Can I ask the really stupid question and, no. and clarify what actually... I mean, I'm having ideas in my head about what it is, but I'm not sure exactly what the it is. Most favoured. Yeah, it's it's the clause in the contract that said that you couldn't sell... If you agreed to sell something in the iBook store, you couldn't sell it for less through any other store. Right. Which right. made i iBooks the most favoured nation, which is where the nickname comes right. from. Which, they, which they've done on, on the, app, the app store with in-app purchases and subscriptions as well and, and upset some people with that as well. Yeah. Did that stand or was that removed? I know they initially had done that. And it wasn't it only for in-app, per- in-app purchases of content rather than in-app purchases of apps? I think a lot of, a lot of um, apps move the subscriptions away from the app so that they could get around it. So you have to do a subscription on the web um, so that Apple don't have, don't, aren't able to take their, uh, their cut of that. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah. And obviously, obviously you'd, you'd be asking every single service provider to absorb that 30% whenever it was done inside the App Store, but not anywhere else. So they'd be losing 30% on, on every App Store subscription. So, yeah, and I never liked that there. I don't, I don't know if it's still in, in place, but well, it, the whole it, thing, yeah. It's not in place in the apps as a whole, I'm pretty sure, because I regularly get stuff from Mac Update and places like that spectacularly discounted from the App Store price. So... Mm. I think it is still in place in terms of if you buy a subscription to content, as in the New York Times, abiding by Apple's rules, couldn't charge more through the iPhone than they would through their website. But the actual app itself can be any price, I think. 
But anyway, I just wanted to say that we didn't mention the MFN at all and we certainly weren't tacitly agreeing with it, or I certainly wasn't anyway. And there have also been some developments since last month. Um, the, the court have um, assigned the person to monitor Apple for the next five years. He's a former attorney, uh, assistant US attorney and Justice Department Inspector General, uh, Michael Bromwich. So he sounds qualified anyway. And then I think we had ended last, I think one of the last things we said on the topic last time was that we didn't know whether Apple were going to appeal or not, and we all kind of guessed they would. Well, they have. Um, Or rather, they've announced their intention to appeal. And uh, the guy who will be representing them has a bit of a pedigree. He was one of the chief lawyers in the uh, anti-Prop 8 case, which won in the Supreme Court. So that is interesting. Do any of this week's panel particularly feel strongly about this, or do we move on? I thought it was interesting. I was reading uh, the article a little earlier, and I thought it was interesting that he tends to challenge the law that's underpinning it rather than actually challenging the decision. I guess that's a valid approach, isn't it? Yeah. He's he's obviously had some success. (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) Yes, as Prop 8 being a very obvious example, yeah. It'll be interesting to watch. Mm. Um, the other thing we talked about last month was we all scoffed a little at BlackBerry's whoopsie failed attempt to launch their BBM service on other platforms. Well, they have redone it. And Take 2 was much better than Take 1. Um, they had 5 million downloads in 8 hours. And so there are now lots of iOS and lots of Android users happily blackboard, blackboard messaging each other. Not Blackboard. Blackberry messaging each other. Um it wasn't entirely smooth. Um, um, Naked Security pointed out that there are still a whole bunch of fake BBM apps, and their advice is if you want BBM, go to BlackBerry's website and follow the link from there if you're an Android user, because if you just search for BlackBerry, you may end up with the wrong stuff. And then um, The Verge also caught the master surfing, paying people to put up um, nice reviews, which is a bit naughty. And that's a theme we'll return to later in the show. So with last month's uh, follow-ups done, let's get stuck into this month's um, things. Something else we mentioned last month was LoadSys. And we had said that... um, Oh, what's her name? I can't remember her name now. Um, The American cookery lady. Martha Stewart. Thank you. Uh, Martha Stewart had decided to stand up to them rather than caving in. And And I think I had said them like, oh, I hope to hear more about this soon. Well, that case... There's nowhere, that's nowhere near a courtroom yet, so that's not actually what we've gotten news from. But there have been other Lotus developments this month. Um, didn't start off too good, so the first, the first bit of news was actually quite negative from, I guess, our point of view. Um, Apple had tried to intervene on behalf of iOS developers in an East Texas case against Lotus, And the judge basically went, I accept all of your out-of-court settlements with Lotus. Now there is no case, so Apple can go pound sand which is not a positive outcome because Apple surely should be able to stand up for their developers. So start of the month was bad. But then things turned. Um, Kaspersky had also stood up to them, as Martha Stewart had, and Kaspersky were clearly wanting it to go the whole way to court, and uh, Lotus thought better of it and simply dropped the case. So hopefully that will encourage others to stand up. Um, Then also there is a US Supreme Court case coming up, now, it hasn't been heard yet, so we're nowhere near having a result. But if this goes the way I hope it goes, patent trolls, when they lose, will have to pay the costs of the people that they are, that they tried to effectively extort money out of. And I think that would greatly level the playing field. So I'm certainly going to be watching that case and hoping for a good outcome. If they're, backing, if they're, if they're already backing down because people are standing up to them, 
then actually making it a lot more expensive for them is it's good. It's got to yeah. be good. Yeah, because the likes of a Kaspersky can have a legal department and they can just absorb the costs of an ongoing case. But if you're a one-man developer who has in-app purchases on their 99-cent app, you can't possibly defend yourself. Hmm. So in this case, uh, the patent troll will think twice if suddenly the cost of the other guy comes onto them. So could be interesting. It does seem to be... I, I think, uh, go on, carry on. I think it's really good that we've actually seen some companies doing the socially responsible thing and the, the ones that are able to, like Kaspersky, um, that they're actually standing up to them. And the, the benefits for the whole community, for everybody, and particularly for those people who, you know, the little guys, is really good. So I, I want to sort of take a moment to, to thank everybody who is able to stand up to them and who is actually having the courage to do so because it's it's... It's obviously already starting to, to, to chip away at that fear and that power that patent trolls will have over, over everybody, but particularly the little guy. Yeah, which I think is what we said last month that we, we applauded Martha Stewart because for her, it would be much cheaper just to settle because I think they were looking for five grand or something piddly. And she's off to court where she's going to spend a lot more than five grand. And I'd like to, I'd like to echo that too. If you... If you pushed to have their the, the patent trolls bill or to take over the bill of those you know that are trying to resist them that does level the playing field it, if the if the if Lotus really has a legitimate gripe then fine then they have to invest potentially invest the money and try to try to win it but it does cut down on the extortion factor, which seems to be the one that is the problem here. The, the targets always have to make a decision. Is it cheaper just to buy out of the deal for probably a fraction of the defense costs? Or is it better to do, as was said, the socially responsible thing and stand up to them? And, uh, you know, we've all been there at, at one point or another with one thing or another that you end up making the fiscally expedient decision. It, it it makes me very sad whenever that happens, and unfortunately, I actually did end up in a situation like that a couple well, many years ago now, when I blogged my honest opinion about a company, and then promptly received a letter from their lawyers, and I didn't have any money, and they had lots, um, so I ended up retracting the stories. I hate myself for doing it, but what choice did I have? So, of course, it, it, it would make life a lot easier if uh, the American government just made. It's illegal for people to buy patents for the pure purpose of suing other people. I have a feeling there's going to be a quite a powerful lobby that would oppose that idea, but I like it. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's simple, right? If, you, yeah. if you're a non-practicing entity, I believe is the PC term for what is commonly called a patent troll. If you're making widgets and you have a patent on widgets, then that seems very sensible and that seems like what the law was for. But if you don't make anything at all whatsoever and you hold 20 million patents, what what value are you adding to society? Would I think be my question. And it, it seems yeah. to me that there's already there's a failure already in the checks and balances that are supposed to be in the system. The idea of the obviousness test that we mm. that there are so many patents that obviously to us fail that, but that you know that are in the books. And it feels like actually the system should work quite well if the rules that we already had were actually being implemented properly and consistently and, and fairly for everybody. That's certainly true. Um, maybe there's too many being granted too easily. 
the other thing that I've always, the point I've always made is the concept of the patent system was that in, it was supposed to be for the good of society. So it was supposed to be a two-way bargain. So you got protection for five years initially, and in exchange you made all of your plans public, so when those five years were gone, your invention went to the world. Well, they're not five years anymore. They're a lot longer than that. And technology today moves a lot faster than technology did 100 years ago or 200 years ago. So five years 100 years ago is actually even shorter time in modern, you know, the way time goes now. So really this notion of a 20, 25-year patent is so at odds with the bargain that was supposed to be struck. You know, the patent system was supposed to be a two-way thing, a win-win, and it's just become so pro-business and so anti-the world. But also, but, but you say it's pro-business, but actually what it does is it means the little guy who might build a business <laughs> that might grow is mm. actually not able to do that because of the system. So it's, it's not only not the right thing to do socially, it's not the right thing to do from a business point of view either because it's, sure. it's killing off small businesses. Which is another irony because the whole point was it was supposed to protect the mom and pop shop from the big evil corporations. Exactly, yeah. But so. isn't it fair to say that in today's world it costs a lot more to develop these things? I, I think that's mm. fair that you think about the iPhone and all the technology Apple patented as a result of that. Is it really realistic to go out and say, okay, I'm going to create a better um, you know, leaf rake and bang, patent it? You know, that, that just doesn't happen anymore. Now we're talking about technology. So is, it, is five years really realistic? But since, since everything is going so much quicker, I mean, a five-year-old computer is very, very old. So Apple's technology from five years ago, if that's now in the competitor hands, having a five-year-at-a-date device isn't actually that much of an advantage, is it? If, yeah. if the technology has indeed been supplanted by something else, yes. But, but I think if you look at, say... Apple had a lot of patents on multi-touch, multi-touch type things, uh, and presumably they, they, those were granted in around the time the iPhone first came out. Would, is it, you know, if we ignore all the stuff that's happened subsequent uh, in terms of the, you know, the battles between Apple and Samsung, is it not now right that multi-touch technology should be available to more people than just Apple? Or would it be right that they could hold, for example, the whole idea of having two or three touch points? Could they hold that idea and have it only on Apple devices for 20 years? Would that be reasonable? Would it be reasonable to say all the other devices can't do that particular thing for 20 years? And I don't think it would be. I think, I think if you held it for that long and prevented anybody from doing anything like that without, you know, without, I guess what they actually do is license it. But, um, you know, it, it seems like that would be a long, long, long time to sort of cripple all the competition to not have that particular feature for that length of time. You know, that patent was actually litigated this month again. Um, I, I don't think I stuck it in the news because we had a lot to talk about anyway, but uh, someone anonymously appealed it to the US Patent and Trademark Office and they affirmed that the patent is indeed valid. So even that patent from five years ago is now still not quite settled because... I guess because there's a lack of resources or something, like patents that are applied for years ago take a very long time to process and then they take even longer to litigate. So you can actually, as a legitimate business model, bring out a product that you know infringes a million and one patents, sell it for two or three years while the thing goes through the courts, then have an injunction slapped on you, but when you've already withdrawn the product, larder rinse repeat. And so maybe the whole system isn't working at all anyway. Yeah, so even from that point of view, there's a problem. 
And I just want to play devil's advocate. If, sure. Uh, um, and for for to take it to something a little more U.S. centric, if I have the recipe for Coca Cola, mm-hmm. should I be forced to release that after five years? Well, that's not patented. That's a trade secret. Well, okay. All right. So the Coca Cola have chosen to protect their recipe by keeping it secret instead of using the patent system. Because remember, okay, the patent so, system is a trade. Yeah, you can make true. something public while it's patented and it's still protected. So you don't have to rely on secrecy, whereas, you know, the Colonel's 50 million secret spices and the Coca-Cola recipe, they're not patents, they're secrets. Okay. Fair I also think that um, there needs to be something... Um, I'm not sure how I'm going to word this uh, to make it make sense. Um, I think there needs to be something where by if the patent is for something that that becomes so um, every day hmm. that everyone is using it, that there needs to be a limit to that length of time that the patent can, can be held. Well, we do have the concept of standard essential patents. <clears throat> That's true. Um, which, again, is supposed to be a bargain, whereby the idea being that a company which is granted a standards essential patent is guaranteed income because everyone who uses this standard has to use this patent. But in exchange for this guaranteed income by having their patent stuck into a standard, the price they're supposed to pay for that is that they have to give fair, reasonable and non-discriminatory or forand terms. So there is actually a system in there to balance that out. But again, the balances aren't working very well, which is what's coming up in the Apple-Samsung cases, where Samsung are trying to barter their standards essentials patents against Apple's non-standard essentials patents and somehow saying that, well, yeah, we might be infringing Apple's non-standards essentials patents, but they're infringing our standards essential patents, even though we won't give them fair, reasonable, non-discriminatory pricing. So even that's not working out so good. But in theory, there's a system for that. Take a legal person, give him lots of money, it seems to me. (laughs) But there's a good industry in um, patent litigation. I'm not surprised. (laughs) The lawyers are making a good book out of it, that's for sure. Anyone else have any final thoughts on patents? I think we all just hate them. (laughs) Apart from somebody likes them. Um, the next thing I thought that caught my eye was a series of stories about people not playing by the rules, and in particular, Samsung leaps at the top of this list. Um, a couple of months ago, Samsung were caught with their fingers in the cookie jar when they were putting code into their uh, systems to detect that they were being benchmarked, and when they were, they were allowing the CPUs to run, or sorry, the GPUs to run hotter so that they'd perform better, but only while they're being benchmarked. And everyone sort of assumed that, oh, well, they've been caught. They're not going to do that again, are they? Well, the answer to that question is, why, yes. Yes, they are. Um, So Ars Technica caught them doing it again. And the guys over in Anantech decided to take a look at the bigger picture. And they started to check lots of phones for benchmarking issues. And they found was that of all the major manufacturers, there are just two that don't cheat. Apple and Motorola. And pretty much Everyone else is at this. If they detect a benchmarking suite, they change their behavior so they look better. It's like the uh, technology world's equivalent of performance-enhanching drugs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one, um, I suppose when, when one person's doing it, everybody starts doing it to, to, to catch up. But all these those people who think it's important to compete on benchmarks and specs, which I guess Apple would, would perhaps distance themselves a bit more from because they want to compete on experience. 
Yeah, well, yeah, and they do. I mean, you you go to Apple's website and you look at their technical specifications of the iPhone. It doesn't tell you how much RAM is in there. It doesn't compete on those kind of specs. What it competes on is basically the user experience, which I think is more important. It probably says it's beautiful. <laughs> which the photograph will corroborate. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, no, because I've had people say, well, my Android phone completely outstrips your iPhone. I mean, look at the specs. And I pick up their phone and I swipe and it doesn't keep up with my finger. It's like, yeah, I don't care. Yeah. But why is that message not getting out to the consumers? And why do consumers, is it, it and this doesn't include this group, hmm. but the, the average consumer out there, are they just so overwhelmed by the tech that they they are looking for a benchmark, anything that can that they can hang their hat on and feel good about their purchase? I don't think ordinary users look for benchmarks. I think that's I the nerd set. Well, is it, but is it the nerd set that's selling to the average consumer? I think a lot of I think a lot of ordinary people might actually... I think there's a category of ordinary people who are turned off by what they see as Apple's kind of pretentiousness in how they market the products, in going on about the experience and going on about all this. You know, whether that's true or not is, is maybe a matter for debate, but I think a lot of people are going to look at that and actually be turned off by the way that it's marketed and then sort of almost... And because, because few other people are competing um, in terms of the marketing in that way, they're going to just sort of shove Apple to one side and 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 look at the look at the alternatives. I think there are, there are a lot of people I've met who who do that. They sort of put Apple in this separate category, much like we we used to do with, with looking at the Mac as a completely separate category from from any other computer you might buy. It's interesting that 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 is is actually it's it's not as strong as before because there are lots of people with iPhones that obviously aren't affected by that. But it's still it's still pervasive that that idea that we we treat Apple very differently. Uh, or some people do in terms of how they uh, assess they almost exclude them immediately you know before they've even begun yeah although with with phones is that is it quite as bad because i, I know no, for... I, I, no, I don't think it's quite bad i think i'm just it, it's it's interesting that it's still mm. there despite how much apple aren't a niche provider in this particular um in this particular market and and frankly they're not in the in the, in the pc world anymore yeah, well, what I see a lot are are sort of the the Linux nerds who are religiously open source, and they will discount Apple instantly because Apple is closed in their mind, and Android is open in their mind. <laughs> but they're quite happy to use a, a version of Android that's been packaged by somebody else. <laughs> yeah, so. I mean, there was, there was a very good RS Technica article. I think it was this week. It might have been last week, outlining exactly what it means to be open in the Android way, which is basically you may look, but you may not touch. And things like the Open Handset Alliance, which sound innocent enough, is used to standardise away the competition. Um, and it's actually a very good article over in Ars Technica if you want to have, if people want to have a read of that. But that that does tend to be the big argument now, doesn't it? It's not technical specifications, as you were saying earlier. It, it's now the the closed nature of the Apple ecosystem that puts at least techies off buying Apple. But I think there's a lot of people whose default position is Apple when it comes to people who go out to buy a smartphone rather than people who go out to buy a phone. They would tend, Apple would tend to be the default for, you know, regular people, I think. Yes. Where Android sell an awful, awful, awful lot of phones is for people who go out into the shop and they want a phone. Does it make calls? Can I receive text messages? Yes. Is it cheap? Yes, I'll take it. And that goes into the Android numbers. 
And that's maybe why, and I will come to this a bit later, but that's maybe why you get that big disparity between Android devices that are sold and and actual actual Android user agent strings turning up on the web and actually people using them to, to browse websites and so on. It's because a lot of those people are buying a phone that happens to be an Android phone, but they're not particularly interested in any of the in, in many of the smart things that the smartphone they've bought does. Yeah, because they wanted a dumb phone, but no one will sell them one anymore because that those days have gone. And hey, presto, they have a cheap smartphone. Um, the other dirty trick th- 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 that came to light, um, although I guess in a good way, is that uh, Samsung were fined in Taiwan for astroturfing, for paying people to write positive things. So the fact that they were caught on fined is probably a good thing, but this does rather seem to keep happening. They're very naughty boys. Yes, yes, they are. <laughs> Um, and they were also very naughty in Judge Coe's court. Um, this is quite a complex story, but as part of the big, the big, 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 the famous Samsung Apple case, Apple had to hand over a bunch of information that Samsung's legal team had a legitimate reason to see so that they could uh, formulate appropriate arguments in court, but that it was also vital that Samsung the company not see because it's proprietary secret Apple information. And so the way that's done is that it's handed to the lawyers under an order from the court that says that it's to be kept secret. And then a bunch of Samsung people showed up in a meeting with Nokia and basically went, we know exactly what you negotiated with Apple, um, so you're going to have to give us a good terms, basically. And to prove it, the chap was able to quote from the document. And uh, I think he, I think there's a quote to the effect of, well, stuff leaks, you know. Uh, Judge Coe, on the other hand, was not impressed, and she said it was an inexcusable thing to happen, so there may be some fallout from that, too. I guess no one is surprised that Samsung are up to dirty tricks. No. 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 Okay. Unfortunately, they've become known for dirty tricks, they've become known for copying, and they've become known for claiming that they're the first on so many of these things. (laughs) And it's, it's kind of pathetic, but it's now... It, it now feels like, by for, for many of us, it's expected, and that's that's sad, and it's unfair, and it's also unfair for the people who don't follow this kind of thing to, you know, be led down the path and mm. not have it be true. Yep. Okay, well, I think we've avoided the elephant in the room for long enough. Um, that's all the boring news. <laughs> we now get into the fun stuff. Um, as expected, Apple had another event, and they had a lot more to cover, apparently. Um I just have a sort of some bullet points of what I what I think are the most important things. And if any of you guys disagree with me that there was something else important, do please pipe up at the end. But uh, Mavericks is going for free, 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 free. iWork and iLife are getting updated, so you have the same file format between iOS and OS X. They're going free with the purchase of every new Mac or iOS device. There's collaborative document editing via iCloud. New MacBook Pros go all Haswell. They lose some weight, they lose some size, and they lose some price. The Mac Pro gets a ship date, December, not a very specific one, but a date nonetheless, and a starting price of basically three grand or two nine nine nine. There's a new iPad Air. The iPad Two hangs around. The iPad Air is basically smaller, lighter, but still better. Um, The iPad Mini gets bifurcated into two. There's a version for Retina, which is at the higher price of three nine nine, and the original one hangs around at the lower price of two nine nine. And that was what I think was the important stuff. Did I miss anything? I would no, take that I as a no. That, no, <laughs> I don't think that sounds good. They changed uh, a lot of icons. 
Uh, yeah. That's very important. <laughs> that's, that's really true. My iPhoto icon is all blue. <laughs> yeah, actually, I'm not sure I'm happy with that. But anyway, I'll get over it. I got over iTunes changing colour a couple of years ago. They seem to be very fond of blue, actually, because Keynote is blue as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, Keynote is blue. Um, I'm going to leave Mavericks until Pages a separate... Pages is no longer blue. Pages is no longer blue. So, you know, maybe that... Oh, so they've averaged blue, blue, purpley, inky. Yeah. yeah. I'm gonna. I think we'll leave Mavericks until the next discussion. So, of the other stuff, um, do people have opinions on the iWork updates? I, w- I was interested to notice that um, actually, if, if some features appear to have actually been dropped, it's not. It's mm. not. It's not just about adding features. I think in the in the pursuit of making the um, making the file formats work across both devices. We've actually lost some features. Pages has lost its separate page layout mode, which I liked because when you're doing something that isn't a word processing document, it is a bit more desktop publishing-y, uh, you, could, you could go into page layout and you'd have to put a text box on, but you had that, you didn't have things wrapping around and all that complexity there. And I, I liked having that separate mode. And I think there were a few other bits and pieces that some people are going to really want that actually disappeared from um, from the new iWork on on the Mac. Perhaps, as I say, to to make it so that you can have that parity across the versions. So uh, that's something s- to be aware of. I saw complaints. I mean, I didn't know that 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 had gone because I loved that page layout stuff. Poop. Um, I guess I'll have to use Keynote for that from now on. I suppose. Um, um, I'm not. I'm not sure that it makes that much difference though, because I, I never really saw Pages as having two different layout modes um i i think it may be one of those things that people didn't realize we had it so therefore only a few people miss it what i did see people get very exercised about was a dramatic reduction in the um apple script support in those two apps sorry in those three apps in in the new iWorks um, there are still some apple script support in numbers but it's been greatly reduced and apparently the dictionary for pages is empty as in it supports no apple script um, now, maybe that's because a la Final Cut Pro 10, first things first, we've got to make it new and better, and then we'll pop back all the features later. Or maybe that's just gone. Mm. Mm, maybe. I, I'm, I'm I'm not sure. must admit, um, I produce a church magazine regularly with pages. Mm. Um, so, And just because I have, I've been seeing the postings on Twitter of people saying, oh, what's happened to Pages? So I've been very wary, and I haven't actually upgraded my main machine um, to either uh, Mavericks well, or I, or the latest version of iWorks, just in case. Well, the good news is if you do an upgrade, it doesn't remove the old apps. They're put into a folder called iWork 09. Oh, well, so is I, that... Is that is that for App Store purchases as well? Because I've got ah okay maybe that's where I've I think if, if you've cross graded from a retail disc to the App Store, the iWork Unknown folder stays there. I think not because it's intentionally staying oh. there, but because it doesn't remove it. So, of course, uh, yes, yes. So yes, the yeah. new apps go into just applications, and the old ones hang around in applications slash iWork 09, so, which is good, uh, or iWork, well, whichever year, I guess yeah. it was 09. It was um, 09 was the which last is, one. Which is good if you, if you suddenly think, oh, I need the feature in the old pages, so I can, I can sort of uh, cope with having, having both for a bit. Um, but I don't know if that's the same for App Store updates. I presume in the App Store it would actually upgrade the previous version, and you'd have to uh, you'd have to rescue it from Time Machine or, or something else something like that if you wanted the old one back. Uh, maybe I'm not quite so frightened then. Yeah, I ended up actually. I presuming I was running it from Time Machine. I actually didn't stop to think where I was running it from, but I had an awful problem with the new iMovie, 
and I ended up running the old one again and exporting the whole kit and caboodle over to Final Cut Pro and I'm now throwing iMovie in the bin but that, that's a story for another day I think Interestingly, um, I now have three pro- versions of iMovie as well. I've got the new <laughs> movie. I haven't even opened the new iMovie yet. I still need to play with that. I've got iMovie HD still hanging around, <laughs> and the previous um, the previous iMovie from My Life Eleven as well. <laughs> I'm collecting these apps unintentionally. Can you still run iMovie HD? Uh, I would I would try right now, but I think so. <laughs> you you might be sort of, it may or may not still work in, in Mavericks Land. Um. Has anyone played with the collaborative editing? <clears throat> Not yet, but I'm looking forward to that because um, I have a um, very non-techy PC using um, proofreader for the mm. magazine. Uh, and up to now, we've been... Uh, when we had... Um, uh, what was it called? Um, is it called iWorks? No. Um, well, there was... There was uh, the iCloud one, anyway. Yeah, what was that called? Yeah. Um, yeah I don't remember what it was called, but yeah, you had the, the, yeah, the cloud service you know that I mean. went away. Yeah. Uh, when we had that, uh, we were able to, I was able to put a PDF in it, and Barbara was able to put notes on it. Hmm. Uh, now we're using something called, which I think uh, I've mentioned before, called Crocodoc, which does a similar sort of thing. But this idea of her actually being able to edit the magazine is wonderful because it'll save us both lots of time. So I'm hoping it'll work. That my mm. only issue at the moment is the fonts that I'm using aren't supported by the new versions of um, of the iCloud version of iWork of oh. Pages. <clears throat> so it doesn't support all fonts, um, it, but it has got more fonts, I believe. So. I think I might have to redesign it a little bit to make it easier. I almost used it, and then I realised that it has a bit of a flaw from my point of view, because what I really wanted was a read-only version that I could you know, give people for stuff. But it's basically, you give out the link, and then that link has read-write read access, and if that link leaks, your document's screwed. Yes. Which I don't like. I'd much rather, you know the way iCloud calendars work, where you can assign it to another iCloud person and say these three or four people can do it. In fact, basically, the way Google does it. Yeah, yeah, it wouldn't work for me and Barbara. <laughs> she needs to have something really simple. So yeah. if she can follow a link, and I'm not particularly worried about other people getting the link. Um, and I guess your time think, machine think, can rescue you. Yes, uh, I think it'll, I'm hopeful it'll work for us. I'm, I may just keep backups of everything just in case. <laughs> I'm just hopeful that this is the start of something and that, you know, this cloud stuff is just going to keep getting better. And just chime back in, iMovie HD works absolutely fine <laughs> in Mavericks. <laughs> just for those of you who still want to hold on really? to that. Yeah. Wow. Cool. That's interesting. Um, Bart, I, Bart, I agree Chuck. with you on the on the cloud stuff, and that may be a segue into the, the uh, part of the iWork discussion. No, segue uh, the, away. The, the, the collaborative document editing by iCloud. Uh, I'm just, I haven't had a chance to try this out in any meaningful way, so I'm not pre- prepared to say yes, no, or maybe. But this this just feels like if it really could work, it's fantastic. I just wish Apple would recognize, and, and maybe there are technical reasons that it's tough to implement, that not everyone lives just in keynote pages and numbers, and, and arguably iMovie and GarageBand. It, 
we, we have other apps. We use other apps. We need other apps. Even if I wanted to, I couldn't just go straight to those three and be done with it. My biggest yeah. problem has always been that we have this, we had until now this illusion that there was the one set of apps and they just worked on iOS and the other. Now we have the reality because my workflow for giving presentations, I mean, for the last couple of years, I have not brought a laptop with me to a presentation. I've done it all from my iPhone or my iPad. And it's a lovely way to be able to work. You just plug the little dongle in and away you go. I mean, I love being able to do it. But my workflow would be create the presentation on the Mac, get it looking right, switch over to the iPad, agree to the fact that it has to dick with all my fonts, (laughs) check that all the flowing has now not been broken, then give presentation. And it always struck me as being really stupid that I use one of Apple's preset templates on the Mac, and when I take that one made entirely of Apple's template and bring it over to iOS, it wouldn't work right. And now, at the very least, that's gone. So I'm hopeful that we're starting to see iCloud live up to its potential, because I've said from day one that iCloud has the potential to be fantastic, but given everything that's gone before, the possibility of being awful. Um, and it's, it's been in between. I must admit, I was a bit disappointed that um, when I first tried it, because uh, the first thing it did was throw up a dialog box which says, oh, you haven't got this font or this font or this font, <laughs> um, which disappointed me. I, I, I mean, maybe it's licensing again, but it, it would have been nice if they'd actually embedded the fonts in the iCloud version so that you can have it look the way that you want it to look rather than the way that they're sort of making it look. I, I believe there are licensing issues with fonts on the web. Yeah. Oh, I see. Well, that, that's possible, and, uh, and that's what I eventually came to after I calmed down. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because if it was just in the apps, it would make sense to embed the font, but it's this third leg of the stool, this web interface. And I'm pretty sure the way most fonts are licensed is that if you want to use a font on the web, you've got to pay big bucks for it. Uh, or, or at least pay separately for a web font license for it, I think. Yeah. Because because obviously when you when you embed it, well not embed but when you use a web font anyone can actually download that web font and just take it away with them and, and use it themselves so there's there's kind of an extra extra bit of risk that the the font creator is taking and allowing something to be used as a web font because you yeah. you know it's not easy for them to track down all the places it's been used and, and get people to pay up. Having said that, I mean there seem to be twenty to thirty ish fonts now as a, as opposed to the Five. handful that were in before. <laughs> It was very small. I don't know how many it was, but it was it was definitely less than ten, wasn't it? Yes, it was quite it was quite small. It was just the just the basic ones, and now they seem to have quite a variety. So I'm not too I'm I'm quietly pleased and hoping that it's all going to work wonderfully. Touch wood. Yeah. Um, the other thing then is new MacBook Pros. Does this did this catch anyone's particular attention? I'll take that as a no. Yeah, it's basically nothing amazingly shocking. The best if, new if CPUs. Mean, if, if you mean surprising, no. If you mean desirable, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Are you thinking of purchasing one? Uh, actually, I am, yes. Uh, just because the the lure of additional battery life is great, but the lure of some additional power for a one-and-a-half-year-old uh, retina is greater. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, um, I, I'm on a I'm on a four year old MacBook Pro. Yeah, <laughs> actually, I think my MacBook Pro is a 2011 model, so technically I could. No, I, I I've been giving serious 
I know I'm I'm doing you Mac because my iMac is 2009 and my my MacBook Pro is 2011. And Final Cut Pro, bless his cotton socks, is a bit of a hog, and uh, my iMac is not happy with it anymore. Well, it's okay if I edit 720p, but 1080p it's not happy with. So I was thinking, do I buy a MacBook Pro and a, and a monitor, because I can't work on less than 27 inches, I'm utterly spoilt now, or do I just say, forget about the laptop, I'll just use my iPad and go for another iMac? And I, I'm, still, I'm still in two minds. Bart, do you have a retina now? No, I don't. So I haven't been spoiled in that way. Well, don't overlook the fact that with the with the density of the retina screen, you can get an awful lot of Final Cut interface on your on one screen. Now, admittedly, it's it's logistically smaller or physically smaller, yeah. but as far as accessibility to the interface and all, because now even when I when I put up Final Cut on my twenty seven inch iMac. It still feels like I I can be more productive on my MacBook Pro Retina screen. So, well, you know, if if you just needed a separate display for palettes and you know those kind of things, but actual actual working, the Retina is the way to go. Well, you see, okay, my biggest reason for wanting the bigger screen isn't really the Final Cut stuff. Um, certainly for photo editing, it's handy to have, but really. I do a lot of programming, and in the old, I've always, I was always a two monitor person until I got a twenty-seven inch um, computer because that kind of takes away the need for two monitors. And being able to have your code and the relevant API documentation side by side on the one screen is just worth a fortune. And I find it so frustrating to try to code on the MacBook Pro. It's a fifteen inch even, and I just it drives me absolutely nuts that I can't see my terminal and my documentation and my code all at once. I guess I'm just spoiled. Yeah, I can relate to that. <laughs> I, I replaced my 24-inch 20, iMac with um, a Mac Mini and a 24-inch Dell monitor, which is actually mm. very good. Um, but, yes, I also like to be able to have, if I'm proofing stuff, I like to be able to have the original up on one side and the the uh, the proofed one up on the other side so that I can see what's going on. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I can relate to that completely. So, anyone buying a Mac Pro? <laughs> no, <laughs> we don't have the money. <laughs> if it had come in at, at at two grand instead of three grand, I might probably have been tempted, but no. Because you take three grand, then you add a monitor, and then you're into all sorts of trouble. It's quite interesting, actually, just how much Apple seemed to have answered a lot of the questions a while back of are they abandoning the Pro market and all this stuff. You know, we we saw what the design of the new Mac Pro would look like, but but in the keynote, the really there was quite a lot of that keynote. I think mm. you know proportionally, that was actually dedicated to the to the pro, the pro line, and it was interesting to see that they've clearly made a very clear decision not to abandon that at all, and actually to to put quite a lot into that. And you know, they showed the video of the manufacturing, of course, is is a. Uh, politically expedient for them as well but it was interesting how much uh they time they spent on that in in what you know you could argue is, is more consumer event as opposed to some someone like uh, wwdc which might have more the developer kind of high-end stuff and they made fun of microsoft <laughs> it's like old times again yeah but no i mean they, <laughs> it's like redmond start your photocopiers again <laughs> yeah only actually i think they made a good point which was that apple i mean I guess one argument you might say is maybe the lady does protest too much. Maybe they're telling us how much they love the Mac 
because they really hate it and they want us to think we do for another couple of years. Or maybe they're telling us that they think there's a big future in the Mac because there is a big future in the Mac and they're fed up of all these people saying the iOSification, which is a word I hate. Um, I don't know, but they certainly, if you take what they said at face value, they were pretty clear. We are going to be a two-platform company and we're going to make it work by having those two platforms tightly linked and interoperate with each other, but we will have a mousy keyboard EOS and we will have a finger EOS for a long time. And it's interesting, I've, I've been using a Surface RT at work because they were selling my very I'm cheap application a while back. Um, so so uh, and, and it, is, it is the case that you sit there using desktop apps and even, even Office 2013, which the interface changes a bit when you're on a touch device and all the targets get a little bigger. It's just, it's just not right. It's not right to be using desktop software on, um, on a device that, that, that you're you know, touching and and scrolling around on it just doesn't make any sense. And I think that, you know, it's, it's made it even more clear to me that it is right to separate those two, those two worlds and have the best software for sitting at a desk or whatever and the best software for, um, for, for, for a touch device. Um, I guess, anyone else have any comments before we move on to the iPad? No. No. Anyone no. in line to purchase a new iPad after after this event? Thinking about uh, it. Yeah, I'm thinking about it, but financially at the moment, <laughs> it's just not possible. But yeah, yes, Gi- I would like one. Given that the Mini and the Mac, the Mini and the Air, or sorry, the Mini Retina and the Air are, as far as I can tell, the same device with the difference being a hundred bucks and a few inches. They're both the Apple A7. They're both Retina. They both have the same sizes in terms of you know storage. So the only difference is screen size and a hundred bucks. Does that make your choice harder or easier? I love my original Mini, and I've I've always I always thought that the, the bigger iPad I couldn't see where it fit in until the smaller size came along. So for me, I, I would I would still go with the Mini. I, I'd go for a Mini with Retina if I were buying, uh, you know, today. Um, uh, Above the above the base mini, but I would always go for the mini because the the fact you can hold it in one hand and maybe the air changes this, but the fact you can hold it in one hand matters to me to make it portable enough that it doesn't feel like oh you've got to lug it around even if it is, you know, uh, not as bad as a laptop. Yeah, you see, I do quite a lot of reading on my iPad, so I'm not sure I'd want to go for a smaller screen, even if it is only an inch or so. So the point about the point. I'm sorry. Now go on, carry on, Chuck. Now, the, the the point about the weight is is a good one, and that's one of the things that I think may change the full size iPad for a lot of people. I can't go to a mini because it's just sorry with with my size hands, and I don't have big hands. Uh, it's just too difficult to type on a mini. I can type pretty successfully on the virtual keyboard on, on a regular size iPad. So while I have a mini, I'm frankly thinking about selling that to help finance the the purchase of a new full size iPad. Because I just don't find it. It's a great consumption device. I don't find it as useful as a production device. Interesting. Yeah, I I recently, well, recently, last Christmas, I went to the iPad 4 <coughs> um, from an iPad 1. And the staggering difference to me was the weight. And to me, the iPad 4 feels light because I'm used to the iPad 1. But when you think of how much of a jump there is in weight again... 
and then by stripping away the what I always thought was a ludicrously large bezel, you've now ended up with a device with a big screen that probably is a one hand device. Mm. And maybe that maybe that would actually change it. Maybe I need to actually uh, see one and play with one before I make that judgment. In the flesh, because I, I, if anything, I actually want one with a bigger screen. Um, I actually would. I'd love, you know. I believe Ken Ray jokingly calls him an iPad Maxi. Um, and <laughs> of course, of course, everyone is now saying, "Well, they've called this one the iPad Air. Does that mean there's an iPad Pro on the way?" Ooh. Um, but I'd certainly be very happy. Um, I believe Amazon played with it. Was it the Kindle DX? Was there extra big Kindle? Yeah, I mean, I'm with you there, Bob, because um, uh, being a musician, uh, a pianist and organist, I just find the iPad a little bit... I've tried using it as a device to read music on. It's just a little bit too small for me, particularly as I'm getting a little older. (laughs) Sit closer Um, to the piano, it'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, a bigger screen would be great because you'd just be able to get bigger music on it. So yeah. that'd be great without yeah. having to scroll about all over the place. Yeah. Have you tried any of those apps as a matter of interest? I have. I've tried quite a few of them. Some of them are very clever. Some of them have got clever features like they use they use the camera uh, and you can nod your head to turn the page, which is oh, cool. <laughs> which is absolutely brilliant. Uh, unless you, unless so, you, so you can't you can't get too enthusiastic because otherwise you'd be right. turning lots yeah. of pages. <laughs> <laughs> and when you sneeze, you turn off a lot of pages. <laughs> <laughs> well, that works in real life too, though, Chuck. Right? Well, <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> uh, anyone else have any thoughts on on the iPad and stuff before we dive into Mavericks? Okay then. <laughs> so I guess the big question is who has and who hasn't? I have. Yeah, that's one have. I have not. Oh, not in any of your machines? Or do you only have uh, one? N- no, actually, not, not none of my production machines. Uh, just because the sense I've not been home recently long enough to say I want to dedicate this machine to an yeah, no, I have. Yet, so it will happen this week. Cool. And I have, and I haven't. So I have on my uh, MacBook Air, which is a, uh, only gets used very occasionally, but yeah. I I haven't on my main machine yet. I have on both my machines. Um, I did it on the laptop that I use less often first. It didn't blow up, so then I did it on the real one. Um, how? What? What are your people's first impressions? When I first installed it. It was it was quite slow, I think, because it was spotlight re-indexing. And I thought, hang on a second, is it going to be this this slow the whole time? It wasn't. But actually, you know, after that, it seemed it, it seems that actually, in terms of in terms of the user facing changes, it's not it's enormous. There's not an enormous amount of, of stuff that's actually changed. Um, it feels like a kind of snow leopardy kind of release. Rather than rather than you know the upheaval of of leopard from tiger. I think since that we're going annual, that's probably going to become the norm. I think. Mm. Um, I'm one of those weirdos who puts the duck on the side, and for me, it's been quite a big difference, purely visually, because what they've done is they've made the duck translucent, like iOS seven translucent, instead of translucent like it used to be. So it's notably different. But other than that. It's very hard to spot the difference. Um, notifications on the lock screen is obviously different. 
Yeah, I noticed that. That was nice. And it doesn't, if you, for example, you get a message come through, it doesn't reveal the content of the message if, if, the, if the screensaver's on, which is nice because if your machine's <laughs> locked, you'd hope that, you know, people can't read what's coming in and so on. So nice touch there. Yeah, that's actually, that's clever thinking. So um, actually, you've, got, you've got two new messages, but it's not going to say, you know, the, uh, the details for the people uh, watching, watching a screen. Well, I mean, your screen may be a long way from you, which is always possible. Someone opens the linear laptop, you'd like them not to see too much. Um, I guess we should also mention that this is quite a different update than what we're used to. Uh, for a start, it's free. So it, it's almost being offered out as if it was just a point zero zero one update instead of a point one update. And they've made it into a security update. There are 50 security vulnerabilities patched in... 10.9 and from what well, from what I can read they're not patched in the latest 10.8 so that's 50 good reasons to update I think that's it's interesting as well that they've not dropped any support of hardware so and, and the fact that it's free they clearly don't want people hanging around on all releases and they mm. made that point in the in the keynote as well there are some people still on snow leopard who will be able to update for free all the way from snow leopard up to to Mavericks, so it's you know they clearly don't want the burden of having to to support these old operating systems to backport things, backport security updates to there, and, and to have iCloud working across everything, people are going to need to be on the latest uh, operating system, and so it's nice that they're bringing everybody forward rather than you know making us pay a nominal fee, even if it is only only a little bit. Yeah, the other thing, of course, is that. This is one of those updates that's... Uh, I mean, when I first came to the Mac, which was in 10.3 days, which is a long time ago, the thing that was really obvious to me was that on the Mac, whenever I went to a new version of OS X, my same computer got faster instead of slower. Because when I was in Windows land, that never happened. It was very much a case of, ah, a new version of Windows, I guess I'm buying a new computer then. Uh, and this update with its you know, efficiency things in terms of graphics and CPU and RAM usage... This is probably going to actually be a significant difference for people who have older hardware. And for free, which is nice. Mm. And I think with the memory compression, I, I seem to be... I've only got, I've only got four gigs, mm. um, which was the maximum I could get in this particular machine. And the memory compression, I'm, I'm you know, sitting here geeking out looking at Activity Monitor, it seems to be not hitting the, the, the limits of memory as often as it was, even when I'm running lots of apps because of that. So I think, you know, that's that's a bit sort of um, anecdotal, but it seems that, you know, I'm, I'm getting benefit from that. And I like, I, I really like the fact that we had this keynote and you've got a lot of free stuff. <laughs> you've got a lot of stuff that made, made the products we already have bought. You know, I bought this Mac four years ago and it's being made better. And that's that's always a nice thing to feel like you're, you've made an investment and not you've bought a product and then they've abandoned you in, mm. in after sales. That's a good point. Uh, a Mac, the, the very expensive gift that keeps on giving. Um, has anyone run into... Actually, we should also mention something else kind of nice. I, th although I think we mentioned it tangentially, that if you had a boxed version of Aperture or iWork, you now have an, have an App Store version, which means that officially the license for my boxed copy of Aperture was for one desktop and one laptop. Now that it's been transmogrified into an App Store version, I can now run it on all my Macs legally. Not to say I ever paid much attention to that limitation, but you know <laughs> what I mean. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Now, downsides. 
from what I've seen on the RSS feeds, the single biggest thing people are griping about is Gmail. Or specifically the fact that Mail.app and Gmail are not good friends. Uh, and I've run into this absolutely positively headlong. Um, so what happens is your, your, your mail counter of how much you have and haven't read is completely out of whack with reality. You delete mails, they appear to vanish until the next time you restart mail and then they all come flooding back in. And if you had done the sensible thing, or rather the thing that was sensible originally, which is to disable the old mail folder in the Google settings from IMAP, because in the past, if you didn't disable that folder, you had two copies of every mail. So if you had six, 60,000 emails, your Mac was downloading 120,000, which is obviously highly inefficient. So the thing to do was always to disable that old mail folder so it didn't show up on the Mac. But in this new version, Apple is obeying Google's weirdness, and Apple is actually counting on the existence of the old mail folder, and it's not duplicating emails, it's using some XML stuff to say this mail appears in two mailboxes or three mailboxes or whatever. But Apple's mail wasn't telling users who disabled the old mail folder that they needed to go and re-enable it. So I was just getting real weirdness. And now I did actually go and re-enable it and it didn't fix all of my weirdness, but it did fix some of my weirdness. The badge in the dock has just become absolutely positively meaningless. And I have unfortunately had a few emails that were visible in the Gmail web interface and which were never, ever, ever, ever visible in OS X which is a problem. So I'm actually using Mailplane at the moment on their 15-day free trial. I'm going to decide whether or not to purchase it in a, a week's time. But right now, for me, Mail.app is very broken. Has anyone else had this happen? Bart, as I, I said, I, I did not do the upgrade, but I have to say I use Mailplane, have used Mailplane for a long time, have pretty much abandoned Mail.app as mm. an email client. And I'm curious as to how you're finding the experience between Mailplane and what you were doing with Mail.app in the Gmail space. I am finding it spectacularly clunky. And I am really not used Ooh. to being advertised that all the time. Um, <laughs> I I miss Mail.app big time. Uh, but I've only been on Mailplane for 48 hours. So maybe, maybe I'll change my mind. Um, but I'm also, after this week, I'm probably going to try out Air, AirMail. Give that a week, and then I'm going to decide which of the three, whether I'm just going to hope Apple fix Mail.app or whether I'm going to fork out for either AirMail or MailPlane. Um, I have been using Gmail with Mail.app for a long time, hmm. but I never disabled the all mail folder, so I kind of put up with the fact that I had two copies of everything. Hmm. And I haven't, I haven't had any significant problems. What I notice is that if I, if I move uh, an email to a, a folder, archiving mm -hmm. it at the same time, which I've been doing for a long, long time, um, it's, you, you do that process, you drag it across to the folder, it goes in the folder, then it reappears in the inbox, and then disappears again. So, it, <laughs> it, it's, 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 so you drag it, you think, oh, yeah, that's gone, and then boom, it's appeared. So you're, you're sorting through email, you're going drag, 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 and you, you pick up the email you've just dragged, and then it disappears. And so it's a little bit annoying, but it's, it's, for me, it's more been a cosmetic issue. I haven't had dog badge weirdness i haven't to my knowledge lost any emails i'm looking on i'm using mm. ios mail as well so maybe if i have i haven't noticed um I so have there's a, a little bit of weirdness but actually th there are some things like the archive button mail's archive button mm. now works properly 
to just throw it into all mail where before it would it would create a separate archive folder which would appear in Gmail as a label and all that stuff. So it's yeah. nice that you've got a native archive button that you can click an email, archive, and it goes into Gmail or mail and disappears in the inbox. So, you know, probably uh, no consolation for you, but I, I have, you know, it's it's been only minor annoyances for me. I have a feeling I've corrupted whatever this magic XML file is by having by not having an all-mail folder for five or six hours till I realised what I'd done wrong. And I think that's just made mail utterly cranky. Um, which is not good, but I'm hoping a fix will come out and that'll be that. Any Anyone have any other issues, good or bad? With Mavericks or with a mail? Well, well, no, Mavericks in general, or mail, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I like the fact it didn't break VMware Fusion 4, which I've been holding back on because I didn't really need the new features. Hmm. But previously, um, going up to, I can't remember which operating system it was now, I guess it would have been Lion, or, yeah, I think it would have been Lion. A pre, uh, an older version of VMware Fusion I had broke, and I had to buy the upgrade because I you know, still wanted it. But it's nice, actually, that clearly not too much has changed. I can still use VMware Fusion 4, and I don't have to pay for it. And I don't really want the new features, so I'm quite happy to, to hang around in the old version. For the first time in any OSN update that I've ever done, the Linuxy under the hood stuff, which I would install using Mac ports, it just works. I've always had to reinstall <laughs> Mac ports and reinstall all of my Linux packages, and this time, no, they just keep working. So this is obviously a much less invasive change under the hood. Interestingly, I, rather than paying Apple for the uh, Mavericks upgrade, I, I've paid Parallels instead. They sent out two emails before uh, mm. when they knew Mavericks was imminent to say, upgrade now or everything will go horribly wrong. But it didn't. I'm fine. Oh, <laughs> Maybe it's uh, just me. But, uh... <laughs> cool. Um, the other thing then people may have run into, and this is not a bad thing, this is just a change, is that OS X now has very iOS-like security settings, where a lot of stuff is now controlled per app instead of just yes or no. <coughs> uh, and the reason a lot of people are going to have noticed this is if they're Text Expander users, Text Expander used to have to go into the settings menu and turn on assistive devices, which meant that all apps would accept input from all assistive devices. You now enable it app by app. And so I went in there and Text Expander was listed as having asked for this permission. I gave it the permission and then it started to work. Which is actually a security feature because it means that just because you have Text Expander, not every app can read your keyboard strokes in other apps, which is technically what you were allowing by having this assistive devices on. You were allowing anything to keep tabs on your keyboard because that's how Text Expander works. So I thought that was cool. Hmm. Um, I get the impression people are not all that excited about Mavericks I really haven't uh, had much time to play with it yet Bart so uh, I, I, can't, I can't really say <laughs> So I, 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 was, I was excited I was excited about it, it, it it's free stuff it's free yeah. stuff and it made my back better <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought I was the only one getting overexcited so I was controlling myself a bit <laughs> no that's good I must have I'm excited Sorry, go on, Chuck. No, no, please. Uh, I was just going to say that um, my observation, really, with all this free stuff is that it makes buying a Mac instead of a PC much more attractive because you're getting a load, shed load. I mean, you've already got iLife, but now you're getting mm-hmm. iWorks as well. It, cool. It's got to make it much more worthwhile having a Mac. 
it, do, it does change that arithmetic because I, I remember for for as long as I've been a Mac user, people have been telling me, oh, you're just, you know, peeing your money down the drain. And I've been saying, no, look at it big picture. So you take the price of the Mac, you take the price of the PC. Okay, now the PC is cheaper. Now add in the price of a virus product, add in the price of an office suite, add in the price of a photograph, of a graphics app, add in the price of a music editing app. And before you know it, what you actually find is you have a much better product. Add in the fact that a Mac will last you five years instead of three years usually. And very soon you realise it is actually value for money, but that's even easier now because iWork is is a nice thing to get thrown in. So it is. Definitely. Um, one potentially, well, maybe maybe sly is the wrong word, but um, I was sort of thinking to myself, what would have been going through the Apple accountants' heads when they were deciding to give away this stuff for free? And part of me thinks you get five gigs of free iCloud, and now you're going to have all of these apps that are sending good big desktop-sized files into iCloud. I think Apple <laughs> are going to sell a lot more iCloud subscriptions. Oh, good point. And a year of iCloud costs, I believe, it's twenty dollars for your upgrade to twenty-five gigs. So, was Pages a tenner, or something like that, or was yeah, it... something like that? Well, wasn't that the iOS app? I think it was fifteen, wasn't it? Perhaps it was fifteen. So basically, for slightly less than a year's worth of iCloud, you only got you got your your word processor, and then you'd never pay for it again. Whereas this way, they're getting twenty bucks out of people year after year after year. So maybe maybe it isn't necessarily that much cheaper. Just a thought. I don't. I don't know. I, Apple never seems to operate quite like that. I think, and I can't take credit for this. Mark mm. Fuccio said something to this effect on on one of my shows that comparing this to Windows, you've just completely taken the the sa- the wind out of the sails of all the Windows updates because mm. there's one Mavericks update and it's automatic. Well. Not the automatic, but it's free. Yeah. It's free for you, free for the taking. And so now your machine, and, and if they if they continue to do this, your machine is going to be able to keep up to date right up to the point where, okay, it drops off the capability to run that OS. But you're not going to have any upgrades. You're not going to have any upgrade costs. You're not going to have all of that. And your productivity suite is going to stay the same. It, it too, is going to upgrade and stay consistent. Mm-hmm. So I, I know there are people that have, looked at this and said you're devaluing software i'm not sure that's the case i think you're doing the mac os even more and keeping people more current eliminating problems that they've had to deal with with multiple versions of the os uh, I, I realize they're not going to be able to stop support for all for all of the previous versions hmm. but with so many people moving to mavericks that means just by the nature of it that they're going to be focusing a lot more on Mavericks and what it can do and it means developers can use all those shiny new APIs with greater ease because they're not cutting off customers. Exactly. I think it's it's not so much about software individually anymore. It's about getting people into a platform. I think that's into an ecosystem. And I'm wondering actually whether we think giving away iWork actually is because we've got we've got Microsoft Office 365 that they're they're pushing to home users. I'm wondering whether we're whether it's actually Apple are a little bit concerned that if they don't get iWork into people's hands, particularly on the Mac, because they'd have to go into the App Store and find it mm. if they didn't know about it. I'm wondering if they're actually concerned that if people don't have it available to them, they're not going to buy into doing it that way. 
and doing it through Apple's platform and putting everything in iCloud because we you know we have we have these different ecosystems and you've got to draw people into your ecosystem if you're if you're Apple or if you're Microsoft or if you're Google and keep them inside that inside that garden. Hmm. And since they make such a massive margin on hardware, anything they do to make Mac more desirable makes them a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, um, we'll le- I think we'll leave Mavericks there. Just before we finish up, I just want to draw people's attention to a few quick stories. Um, Apple have a new head of uh, both physical and virtual stores in the form of Angela Arendis, I think is how you pronounce that, I hope, who's come over from Burberry. Um, Apple are going to do volume pricing for corporations and education institutions and developers can choose to give education discounts, which is nice. The SEC have confirmed what we all believe, that Apple's tax affairs are hunky-dory. And then the very last thing I just wanted to bring up is just this continuing meme that I just see going through, not just this month, but going through years now, where on the one hand you have news stories that imply that Android is kicking Apple's butt, and on the other hand you have news stories that imply that Apple is kicking Android's butt. So this month there's three stories that fit that vein. Android has sold, there are more Android phones sold in the US than there were iOS phones sold in the US. Now, that's not really apples to apples because what about all the tablets and the iPod touches, but leaving that aside... Then there was a story on the Mac Observer saying that from the point of view of Facebook ad revenue, if you're a developer with Facebook ads and you pop them onto an iOS app, you make a fortune. If you pop them onto an Android app, you may even lose some money. And apparently of the custom apps that go out into business, 95% of them are iOS. So again, we have this lots more Android being sold, lots more iOS being used. Um, Does anyone want to chime in any of those before we wrap up? Okay. Just follow the money. <laughs> follow the money, yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. I mean, the argument has always been made that as soon as there's a lot of Android phones <coughs> sold, everyone's going to develop Android first and iOS is going to languish completely. And that keeps not being true. And it keeps not being true because people make more money on iOS, even though there's more people on Android. And I'm convinced it's because there's lots of people who use their Android phones as dumb phones. And it's not, it's not yeah. just more money, though, is it? It, it? it is easier to program for iOS. Yes, so you know, if you're going to, if if you're uh, going to make a new app that you want to be on both platforms, you're going to say, okay, which is the least line of resistance? Oh, it's iOS, right? We'll do that one first. And Plus, it's make perhaps you're likely to get you're likely as well to get users who are more likely to engage with the app rather than people who might install it, but then they don't end up using their phone like that. Yeah, so much. I also think there's a psychology difference between your typical Apple user and your typical Google user because Google is a company based off giving you stuff for free in exchange for your privacy, whereas Apple is a company based off giving you stuff for money. And, you know, you take 100 Apple users and 100 Android users and you ask them which of you would like to give me $2 for this app, I think you'll find an asymmetry. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Okay, well, thank you very much, folks, for joining me to go through this month's Apple news. Um, we'll go out in reverse order. Chuck, I- I'm going to be talking to you again very shortly on the Mac Roundtable, but um, <laughs> for now, thank you for joining us. And if you want to hear more from Chuck's uh, work, he's over at macvoices.com and at Chuck Joyner on the Twitters. Is there anything else you'd like to plug? Just thanks for having me, Bart. I, I enjoyed it and I hope we can do it again. Thank you. Oh, you're always welcome here. Um, Peter, thank you as well. Peter Upfold, peter.upfold.org.uk. How did you manage to get your surname as a domain? 
It's not a very common surname, ah. <laughs> <laughs> which, which which has advantages and disadvantages. Yeah, that was yeah. And you're I've grabbed a few of those. Savvy. I haven't grabbed them all. I haven't grabbed them all, but but you know when I, when I can, I will. So, yeah. so you're the most savvy uphold, basically, is is what we can learn from this. So. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> Excellent. Also, at Peter Uphold on Twitter, and again, thank you very much for joining us. It's been really nice. Thank you. Nick, thank you as well, at Spligosh, um, which I'm going to get you to spell because I've probably typed it wrong into the show notes. Uh, it's S-P-L-I-S-O-G-H. Yeah, see, I think no, I spelled it. No, it isn't. No, no, no. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> I've got it wrong. It's S-P-L-I-G-O-S-H. Okay, so I got it right. Phew. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, thank you very much as well for joining us. Um, I've been your host for the day, Bart Bouchats. You can find me at bartb.ie. And if you'd like to get in touch with the show itself, we're on the Twitters at, at LTPod, which stands for Let's Talk Podcasts. You can email the show, apple at lets-talk.ie. And the website for the show is lets-talk.ie. Until next month, happy computing. Listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Soft kitty, warm kitty, little ball of fur. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold up what, here, Mark. What's what's going on, Kevin? You're singing the song Soft Kitty. That that's only for when somebody's sick and not feeling well. Oh, but I thought it'd be a great intro into the show. I mean, after all, people listening to us, they've gotta be a little bit sick, don't they? That's true. We can't deny that. Especially if they want to hug a geek every week. I know. A little bit confusing. A little bit painful. I feel sorry for them. <laughs> but you know what? If you haven't listened to Geekiest Show Ever, simply go across to iTunes and type in Geekiest Show Ever and you can listen to Kevin and me every single week. We're sick, we're twisted, but we have fun doing it.